you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Thompson Pinder. And I'm so excited to announce that in August, we will be having the 400th episode of the Author to Authority Podcast. And in celebration of that, I have decided to do the top 25 episodes of the Author to Authority podcast for the whole summer. And we will celebrate the 400 about mid-August, so there will be a couple of episodes after that. And I chose these episodes because they were the ones that I just personally felt were the ones that gave tremendous amount of value that were going to help you as an entrepreneur, professional, a speaker, a coach to move your business forward. These were value-packed episodes that are just going to give you action steps that are just going to really propel you to the next level. So I'd love for you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this top 25 episode. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And if you ever heard about Tony Robbins firewalking, and you're curious about the effects that it can have in your life, then you are going to want to listen to today's episode of the Author to Authority podcast. I want to welcome Dave Alvin to the show. Now, he was born in 1954 at Queen of Angels Hospital in Hollywood, California, to a single mother. He was adopted by his aunt and his uncle on his mother's side at the age of five. His adoptive parents told Dave that they were not his parents at the age of 11. Later that year, both his adoptive parents started drinking. And this is where Dave's life took a really hard turn. He tried alcohol at the age of 12. By the time he was 14, he was experimenting with hard drugs. He was grossly addicted to both drugs and alcohol, and he joined AA some 20 years later in June of 1988. That was when Dave was introduced to the personal development industry. He attended a seminar with Tony Robbins in 1995 where he did his first firewalk. Dave went on to work for Tony Robbins for just shy of 20 years as Tony's firewalk captain. Now, Dave retired from Tony Robbins' company in 2014, shortly after, get this, Google hired him to put on an event for them. Firewalk Productions was born in 2014, and Dave has done gigs for NASA, Heineken, the Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, Remax, Chickafil. Google, I mean, you name it, he has done it. So welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you, Kim. What a mouthful. My gosh. 
<laughs> By the way, that's Chick-fil-A, just so any of my listeners, because I'm a big fan, you know, they're here on the East Coast as far as a kind of a, you know, a, a fast food restaurant, but they're really good. Actually, I think they're just starting to come into Canada, but I, I actually have not been to one yet, so. Gotcha. Yeah, they're good. They're really good. And, and they have, their hospitality is really amazing. It's not like any other fast food restaurant I've ever been to. They're very cordial and very professional and, and the food's good. So yeah, I, I like it. What more can you ask for? And they're a client. So it's, it's even better, right? <laughs> so Dave, I shared a little bit of your story here, but since this is your first time on the Author to Authority podcast, I would love for you to go into more detail about it, especially, I mean, how you attended a Tony Robbins event, but yeah. how did you end up working for him? Well, so when my went through a program that Tony had called Personal Power, right after I got sober, I I was up late at night all the time. I had insomnia, so my sleep patterns were all over the place. And I was up late one night, and there he was, you know, Mr. Tony Robbins, young Tony Enthusiastic Robbins and Gunty Ranker, and he was selling a program called Personal Power. And it was a month-long program, and it came on these little white things called cassette tapes. <laughs> and, uh, right, some of your listeners are going to go, what are those? I have no idea what those are. They probably didn't know what or CDs are, right? So anyway, I went through the program. I did what it told me to do, Kim, and it worked. And so one of my buddies in AA noticed that I was had made, started making a lot of changes. I started working out. I started my own business. I had a really kind of a positive outlook on life. Um, and so he was like, dude, what are you doing? Who, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, you know, I went through this program, Tony Robbins. It's a 30-day program. It's called Personal Power. And I'll loan it to you, man, if you want to check it out. Promise me you'll go through it. And he said, absolutely, I'll go through it. So he did. Well, seven years later, he calls me on the phone. And he said, Dave, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town live? And I'm like, no, Dan, I had no idea. <laughs> and he goes, dude, come on. You got to go with me. You got me into this. So, you know, come on, let's do this. And I'm like, well, what's the date? So the dates work for me. And and he said, great. So you'll go. Yes. He goes, great. I'll call you back. I'm going to go make the arrangements. Well, he called me back like an hour later and he said, done. We pick up the tickets at will call. And here's what they told us to do. Number one, bring snacks. You're going to spend a lot of time in the room. What, what an understatement that was. Drink a lot of water, hydrate, really important. Bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. Well, I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? And he said, 700 bucks. And I went, well, don't you worry. I'll play full out. I mean, what is that today? And they see, I was 95, 700, probably seven grand today, right? So, and just as he's getting ready to get off the phone, he goes, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention something. We're going to be doing a fire walk. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Kim, I was like, are you kidding me? This is the dialogue that's going on in my head. I'm like, oh, hell no. That's a hard not no for me, right? I'm not doing that. So you can forget about that. We'll let that for all the crazies. And you know what's interesting about that, Kim? I didn't even know what a firewalk was. I didn't know what, I didn't know what that meant, but it just didn't sound like anything I wanted to be part of. So I'm saying no. So, but again, I'm just like, okay, Dan, yeah, sure. Sounds really interesting. All right, I'll see you then. Well, the day of the event, we get there. 
and we get checked in. And the next thing you know, Tony takes the stage. Now, this is 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The next thing we know, it's after midnight. I've been in a room for 10 hours with Tony Robbins. It's a good thing I brought snacks, I can tell you. And water. And water. Um, And the next thing we hear, Tony says, take your shoes off. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, I'm not falling for that one, pal. You can you can kiss that off because I'm not doing your firewalk. I'm here to see you. It's great, but I'm not going to do this firewalk thing. Well, as I look around, I'm in a I'm in a seminar with 3,500 people, and I'm looking around, and guess what? They're all taking their shoes off, and I'm like, oh man. So if I don't take my shoes off and I walk out there, they're going to know, yeah, that I'm a coward, and we certainly can't have that now, can we? So I'm like, so just take your shoes off and fake it. Nobody's going to know, you know. You can just go get lost in the crowd. So, Tony, before he gets you to go outside into this giant parking lot where this firewalk's going to take place, he gets everybody chanting. So they're clapping and they're like, yes, yes, yes. And they're all walking out there and I'm walking out there going, no, I don't think so. Well, it gets worse. It gets a lot worse. So, as soon as you get out there, Tony's got African drummers, right? So it's dun, 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 dun. And everybody's yes, yes. So the ambiance is unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life. It is insane, you know, the level of intensity when you get out there. Well, back in the corner of this parking lot, they built a giant fire, probably about the time he took the stage, two o'clock, something like that. And that, that fire pit is 30 feet wide and it's every bit of 60 to 70 feet long. And they, and they stack it with wood all day, hardwood. And so it burns down, it burns down and it finally renders a giant, beautiful pile of coals. Well, what they did was is they take wheelbarrows and they shovel the coals into a wheelbarrow. Then they pull a wheelbarrow in between two fire lanes of sod, of grass which is three feet wide, 18 feet long. And then they would just, from that wheelbarrow, they'd take a shovel, a flathead shovel, and they'd sprinkle those coals on top of that grass. And that's what you physically walked on. Well, I figure, because I'm not going to do this, I'm going to go hide out in the back, which, you know, I thought was a good strategy. (laughs) Not so much. So here's the thing. Tony knows that this is a paradigm shift experience. He knows this can literally be one of the most life-changing things you'll ever do. So he wants to make sure, as much as he possibly can, that every participant goes through it because it's going to create an incredible change. And so he knows where all the cowards are, right? He knows people, they're in the back, right, hiding out. So what's he do? He trains people to come find you. Yep. And so he also trains them. When you make eye contact with these people, don't take your eyes off them. Because the next thing I know, here comes this dude, and he makes eye contact with me, and he's not taking his eyes off me. And he probably gets within 20 feet of me, and he kind of bends down and looks at me with a really puzzled look on his face, and he says, are you okay? (laughs) Well, when we're not okay, what do we say? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Good. All good here, pal. You can keep moving on, right? And so... He says, so, hey, are you going to, you going to walk tonight? And I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) And I said it about that way, right? 
And he goes, hey, man, that's cool. No problem. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I thought, wow, I like this guy. He's going to get me out of here. And then he, and then he, he asked me, right? Uh, false sense of hope, probably for me. And then he asked me a question that changed my life forever. A stranger, Kim, I don't know who this guy is to this day, but he changed my life. Because the question he asked me was, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. I'd love to watch these people burn their feet off. This should be entertaining. <laughs> and he said, well, listen, you're not going to be able to see anything from way back here. I'm 100 yards away from where they're doing it. I got 3,500 people standing in front of me, Kim. I can't see anything, nothing. Yeah. I can hear it. I can see the glow of the big fire. I can hear the drums, the African drums. I can hear everybody chanting, yes, yes. And they're starting to walk and I'm hearing them scream and yell and all this, but I can't see anything. So he said, well, listen, just get in line and eventually you'll get up there. You'll be able to see it. So, <laughs> you know, did he trick me? Eh, well, he got me in line. That's the bottom line. So I get in line and I'm kind of walking along and, you know, and again, I got 3,500 people in front of me. I can't see anything. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me and he whispers in my ear and he goes, he knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. And pew, this guy just disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what the hell was that? Where did this guy come from? Right. So I'm walking along and the next thing I can see, I can't see in front of me, but I can see in an angle and they're doing it, Kim. Every race, every creed, every color, every age, all of them, they are walking on hot coals. And my brain is freaking. It's like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? This is nuts. You know, metaphorically, what's happening here? And so as I'm struggling with that, now I'm asphyxiated on it, right? I'm in a trance. It's like, you know, driving by a car accident. And you swear, I'm not going to look at it, but you can't stop from staring at it, right? Well, same that's why thing everything here. boggled next, because everyone's got to slow down to look at it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's what's happening with me. I'm staring at this because I can't take my eyes off of it. And I'm just like amazed at watching these people. Well, the next thing I know, guess what? Boom. Where am I? I'm at the front of the line. Yep. And, I, and I look down and those coals are on that lane and they're glowing bright red. And there's a wheelbarrow there and you can feel all the heat coming off. And, and I'm freaking out. I am staring into the abyss. And, and I feel like my heart's going to jump out of my chest. And there's a trainer standing there. And all of a sudden, the trainer goes, eyes up. Oh, jeez. Okay. My eyes are up. And I guess I'm a slow learner. Because when I'm in the room with Tony for 10 hours, guess what he teaches you to do? Keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear. Look to the celebration end, to the end, because that's where the reward is. So now my eyes are up and he goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went stronger. And I went, yes. <laughs> he could tell I wasn't in a peak state. I was leaving <laughs> a lot on the table. And he screamed at me, stronger. I mean, really loud. Well, now I'm kind of angry. And I threw my hands in the air and I screamed yes as loud as I could. And he goes, go, go, go. And I took off. Well, <laughs> Here's the first thing I learned about firewalking, kind of metaphorically for life as well. And that is, when you take the first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. <laughs> I absolutely guarantee you, you're not going to stop halfway yeah. on that fire lane. Well, Tony positions two people at the end and they lock arms and they stop you. And they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. 
I mean, if they hadn't stopped me, Cam, I'd have walked all the way to Albuquerque. I mean, I was like, you know, I was just in this trance. And so they're stopped, wipe your feet and celebrate. So I'm wiping my feet and I'm celebrating. And all of a sudden I go, oh my gosh, I can feel it. I burnt my feet really, really bad. And I look, I lift up my right foot and it's dirty, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. I lift up my other foot. I look at it. It's dirty, but there's no burns. And so now I'm on the celebration end of the firewalk with everybody else that's completed the firewalk. And it was absolutely exhilarating. I felt like I could conquer the world. Looking back at the bright red, and I'm like, I just walked on coals that are 1,000 degrees, and I didn't burn myself. And the interesting part is I don't know how I did it, right? Have you ever done something really cool, really awesome, and you don't even really know how you did it, but you did it, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's me. I'm your guy, right? Well, that's what was going on. And so I'm there with 3,000-plus people, and we all felt amazing. And we had all accomplished something together, something extraordinary. So it elevated our self-worth, our self-belief, our self-confidence about ourselves. Because now once you do something like that, you can say, well, if I can walk on coals that are 1,000 degrees, what else can I do? Well, here's where it gets really super interesting. Was the next day. So let me back up. This is a four-day event. The firewalk is day one that night. So now we're coming into day two. And we're in the foyer. And they're getting ready to let us into the venue. And I had never experienced anything like that in my life. I've never, to this day, I've never experienced anything like it other than a Tony Robbins seminar because people were getting along humanistically. It was beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. They were, people were laughing. They were crying. They were hugging. They were telling their story about the firewalk the night before. I mean, again, people were getting along. It was absolutely wonderful. And so I'm, I'm just in awe of that. I'm like, so what happened? Is that, are we all getting along like this because of the, you know, the firewalk last night? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. You know, you and I have a mutual friend, Dave Sanderson, and Dave will tell you, you know, because he was the last passenger off flight 1549, US Air, Miracle on the Hudson. There's a bond between all those people. Yes. Because they accomplished something. You know, that was the greatest miracle in aviation history. So they're bonded because of that near-death experience. Well, the firewalk does something very, very similar. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So I fell in love with it, you know, from the moment that I accomplished it that night to the next day, seeing how it put people together and connected them. And so I got to know one of the trainers for Tony while I was at the event. And he, 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 told me that Tony uses about 300 volunteers. He said, see those people over there with those shirts on? I'm like, yeah. He goes, those are all volunteers. Those are people just like you who came back to help Tony promote the event. He said, so when you get home, call Robin's Research. They'll send you an application, fill it out, send it back in. And if you're lucky, they'll choose you to come be a volunteer with us. Well, that's exactly what I did. And it's like a four or five page questionnaire. Yeah, And they ask you like really cool questions like, you know, where do you live? What do you do? This kind of thing. So I was living on a farm. So I, I had two wood stoves. So I knew how to split wood. I knew how to use tools. I knew how to use and drive certain pieces of equipment. I had a military background, a security background. So I fit, I fit it like a glove. And sure enough, I got a letter in the mail. It said, congratulations, Dave Albin. You've been selected to 
crew with the Anthony Robbins companies in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And boom, there I was. And because I had the military background, security background, they put me on the security detail team, which meant that I was helping take care of Tony's celebrities that came to the event. And then because I had the other experience with the tools and all that, they put me on the fire building team as well, which is exactly what I wanted to do anyway. And it just grew from there, Kim. I crewed probably four, five, six times, something like that. I don't remember exactly. And the next thing I knew, they offered me a subcontractor's position to be part of the security detail and to be on the fire building team. And so that was that was 95, 96. And then in 2003, boy, my life took a real turn. Um, they they you know offered me the captain's position. So that meant I would take over all of the firewalks globally, which I accepted. They also, because I wasn't going to do it because I homeschool my kids, Tony ended up offering to pay for my family to travel with us on the road, which you can imagine. Like my first event with my with my wife and kids, uh, we went to Sydney, Australia. So you can imagine. Nice. nice, right? Yeah, it was very nice. And then in 2005, we went to London and we set a world record. We firewalked 12,300 people. Wow. Now, I wanted I want to disclose something. I say a world record. Guinness was not there. The Guinness Book of World Record was not there. However, I do know, to the best of my knowledge, that there's never been a firewalk that big anywhere in the world. The only thing that comes anywhere close to that is another Tony Robbins seminar. So we walked 12,300 people that, that weekend, which was phenomenal. Um, and then my life took another turn. In 2014, I'm driving down the road. My phone rings and it's Google. And they want to know if I'm the Dave Albin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins. Well, yes, I am. What can I do for you guys? Well, we'd like to talk to you about hiring you as long as, you know, of course, you're not under some contractual obligation or non-compete. And I'm like, nope, homeboy's a free agent. What you got going on? <laughs> and so they told me about an event. <clears throat> they gave me the dates. I was available. And I'm like, so what's your budget for this? And they wrote it down and they showed it to me. And I remember looking at it going, I can work with you guys. <laughs> And so there I am. I'm in Mountain View, California, at corporate headquarters, putting on a glass walk experience for 148 of their executives. We did the glass walk opposed to doing the fire walk because it was a graduation and it was in the middle of the day. And I don't do fire walks in the middle of the day. So when I gave them the option of doing the glass walk, they went, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Tell us about that. And so they they opened right up to it. So I actually ended up doing two glass walks for Google, did one the following year as well. Uh, and that's when I kind of realized that there was a incredible marketplace for these types of corporate team building experiences. Because, you know, most CEOs and business owners, entrepreneurs have heard the statement, what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. You put a keynote speaker on stage, that's great, but it's probably not going to be a life-changing experience, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, Navy SEALs don't become Navy SEALs because they sit in a classroom and have people talk to them. Though that's part of it, you know, they've got them out doing, you know. So that was it. And and so I started Firewalk Productions in 2014. In fact, I talked to a couple of the Google grads and they were literally going, hey, you know, you might want to think about starting your own business. Because there's an incredible marketplace for this. And, and we're Google, man. We, we know what the marketplace, you know, corporate team building at this level, paradigm shift, 
where it causes this kind of, you know, incredible experiences and, and being are, you are who you are with your, you know, your background and all that, you, you know, you'll have corporate America all over you to hire you to come put on these events. And they were right, 100%. Because right after Google, I was at NASA and then Notre Dame and then Virginia Tech. And as you said, Remax and Chick-fil-A and Heineken and, you know, all these other organizations started reaching out to us. And we've been, you know, we've been growing and having a ball ever since. Wow. Wow. I love that story. And one of the things that I love about it was the fact that even though you said you kept saying no, you opened yourself up to that one small action. You said, well, you know, I can get in line. Yeah. I want to watch. Sure. Um, And, you know, it's like some would say, well, he tricked you. Well, in his defense, he was telling me the truth because he said, you can't see anything from back here. And he was right. You can't. I was a hundred yards away from where they were actually firewalking. Again, I had 3,500 people in front of me. That was just a massive amount of people. And uh, though I'm, I don't know what the numbers are or what the percentages are of somebody that gets in line who's saying, no, they don't want to do it and end up doing it. My own events, I have a lot of people that say, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, that's fine. I say the same thing to them. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. But let me ask you a question. Are you using fear to make that decision? Yep. Because if you are, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Because fear's not done with you. Because the fears we don't overcome become our limits. Yes. And so, so true. If you don't want to do it fine. But again, if you're using fear, I caution you. Because again, at the end of the day, what's the worst thing that can happen? Burn your feet off and die? No, it's not going to happen. People don't get hurt at our events. I mean, what's the worst case scenario? They get a little blister on their foot? Yeah, that's about it. Will they need hospitalization? Nope. <laughs> Will they sue us? Nope. Never been sued. No one's ever been hospitalized. So, yeah. you know, there's a much higher risk of taking your family to the beach and getting them sunburned. I can tell you that. That's that's a hundred times more dangerous, right? Put your kid on a soccer field. That's a hundred times, maybe higher, more risk. Football, soccer, you know, sports. Right. Kids get hurt all the time. I, I firewalk kids all the time. And, you know, we don't hurt them. What it does is it levels up their their self-worth and their self-confidence and their self-belief about themselves. You take a young kid and put them through a firewalk experience, remarkable, remarkable what it does for their psyche. So, you know, we we get it. You know, when you were talking, I was I was just thinking, um, I actually just submitted to Dave Sanderson, our mutual friend this morning. He wanted me to write an article for his magazine coming out in June. So I don't know. This will probably come out around the time. So hopefully I can put the link to the magazine there. But I wrote about a one small decision can change your life. And for me, you know, that decision was to let go of the words that a teacher had spoken to me at seven years old telling me I shouldn't write because I wasn't a good writer. And I carried those words for 30 years, 30 years. I carried those words. I didn't write. And then finally I came to a crossroads and I chose to let those words go. And I started writing blog posts and I started writing books. I mean, that decision changed the entire trajectory of my life because I went from blogs to books a few years later from ghostwriter and now a full scale publisher. And why? Because I made the decision to let a few words that someone had said to me at seven years old go. So there is strong power in making those small decisions. Mm. You don't always know 
where that decision is going to change your life. hundred percent. You know, in fact, it's in our moments of decision that our destinies are shaped. Yes. Yeah. Dude, you make one small decision and it completely changes the trajectory and the, and the, and the way you're going in your life. Again, it's so huge because it may start off small, but the further you get out there, you know, it really starts to gain momentum in a completely different direction. So, and I made decisions, you know, prior to that as well. Um, you know, when I was, when I was born, I was born to a single mom and, and she, my biological father was a pilot in Korea and they put a, something happened to him and they had to put a plate in his head to save his life. Well, it also ended up taking his life, Kim, because two months before I was born, he was always complaining to my mom that he didn't know how much longer he could put up with the pain. And so two months before I was born, he told her he was going to the grocery store and we never saw or heard from him again. So we kind of assumed that he went and took his own life because, again, he was in a lot of pain. So when I was born, my mom had two other sons of, from a different, you know, a different man, a, a different father. And we were all living in a one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood, California. My mom, my two stepbrothers, a cousin, and my grandmother, right? So there was, what, five of us living in this small one-bedroom apartment, not right across the street from Hollywood High School. And so when I was five, my mom, who was working as, as a server at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, she just couldn't make ends meet anymore. She couldn't afford to have me. She couldn't afford to feed me. And so she did the most loving thing she could do. And she put me up for adoption. And her sister, my aunt, literally by marriage, right, um, adopted me. And so I moved from Hollywood to Long Beach. And when, and I was five. And so they swore off drinking, both my, you know, now my new mom and dad. And when I was 11, they started drinking again. And the other thing they started doing, they did is that on the first day of summer in 1964, they sat me down and said, David, we need to tell you something. And my mom put her hand on my arm and she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, what we need to tell you, David, is we're not your parents. Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, how do you process that at 11 years old? You don't, right? And then shortly after that, Kim, they both started drinking. So it really, really took a hard turn. Well, they were, they were gone one day, went grocery shopping or left the house. And back in those days, you could do that, right? At 11, you know, you'd, oh, call yeah. the neighbor, you'd call the neighbor across the street and say, Hey, Joanne, Bob and I are going grocery shopping. David's home. If he needs anything, can he come over and see you? And they're like, Yeah, of course. So well, neighbors did that. Yeah. yeah. This was in 19, what? 64. So when they left, you know, I, I had seen them drinking and I'm like, I saw this huge change in their personalities and I'm like, what the hell is this stuff? So when they left, I went over to the cabinet, pulled it out and there was a big old bottle of brandy. And I went, well, let's, what is this stuff? Let's find out. Took a coffee cup, poured it half full, boom, drank it, all of it. And I, I had no chance. <laughs> Kim, I was, I was an alcoholic on the spot, literally. Yeah. I never drank normal my entire life. One was too many. And a thousand is not enough. That was my yeah. mindset, if you will. And I started chasing it from an early age. I wanted more. I'd steal it. I'd hide it. And it just, you know, the momentum of that. Once I got into junior high school and high school, I got into drugs. Um, I started hanging around with people that I shouldn't. 
And it got worse and worse and worse. By the time I became a junior in high school, they kicked me out. You're out, dude. We, you know, yeah, we don't need you here in high school. And, uh, and then on June 8th of 1988, I was married to a woman with three kids. And I woke up that morning, <clears throat> excuse me, and I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I was in so much physical and emotional pain that I couldn't stand it anymore. So my only out that I thought of in that moment was to put a bullet in my head. And Mm -hmm. I, and I, so I loaded my pistol and I stuck it in my mouth. And then I remember thinking, you know, these kids that you're, you know, their stepdad, you can't do that to them. You're going to ruin their life. You know, you just, you can't do that. You've got to find another way. And I even wrestled with, well, don't do it in the house so they don't see it. Go out in the woods and do it. But yeah, still it doesn't gonna, matter. It doesn't matter. You're right. So geographical location doesn't really matter. You you know, we know when someone commits suicide, you kill everybody around them as well. And, yes. you know, it's that it's a permanent answer to a temporary problem, which really made a lot of sense to me. And so I decided to call this organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> well, you know, what's funny about that. I didn't even know who AA was, Kim. None. Zero. I don't know. Who, I don't know anybody in AA. I'd never been to AA. I had no references for AA, yet there was the thought in my head to call them. And I did. I love those God thoughts, you know. Yeah, sister. You know, so I called them. And I got a wonderful human being on the other end. I affectionately call her Madge. Because Madge talk like this. <laughs> like she was probably smoking three packs of palm oil non-filters a day and man she drilled me she was in my face and she just wanted to make sure i was serious because it was her responsibility to send someone over if she thought it was warranted and so she put me through the ringer and apparently i must have done a pretty good job because i convinced her to send somebody and they did and this gentleman by the name of lauren came and picked me up and took me to an all men's group a uh, AA group in Fairfax, Virginia. <clears throat> and so my journey began. I went to four meetings that day. I did a 12.30, a 4.30, a 6.30, and an 8.30. And and the men in the group took the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote their name and their phone number in it. And then at the very bottom, they put, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And then they also gave me a living sober book, and they did the same thing. And they sent me home with that. <clears throat> and that was when I got home. Understand, I'm coming off heroin, cocaine cigarettes, alcohol. I mean, I'm addicted to everything. You know, chocolate chip cookies for crying out loud. Um, Anything to try to change, you know, trying to avoid pain or gain pleasure, if you will. And then finally, it didn't do what I couldn't avoid pain and it wasn't giving me pleasure. And that's, you know, there I am in AA. Well, on day two at eight o'clock in the morning, my phone rings and it's John from AA. And he had heard me tell in the meeting where I lived and he knew where I lived. And so he had, he got my phone number, called me and said, Hey, good morning. How you doing? And I'm like, how do you think I'm doing? I want to kill somebody. And I might start with you. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to be okay. Listen, Hey, I'm going to come get you. Let's go to breakfast and I'll take you to an AA meeting. And that camaraderie, that kind of treatment, that kind of love and connection with people was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And so, you know, these were my homies. I felt at home with them. When they told me they knew how I felt, I knew they knew that. They were congruent with their word. And so they're really, it's a powerful group. AA is phenomenal. And I fell in love with the group. I fell in love with these guys. They were happy. They were joyous. They were free. And I wanted what they had. And they said, great, just do what we do. Success leaves clues. 
come to meetings, get a sponsor, read the literature, work the steps, and guess what? You'll like your life will get better. And they were right. And so, you know, about the same time, again, I the personal development industry showed up about the same time I got sober because yeah. I had insomnia and I was up late at night all the time. So my sleep patterns were all over the place. And there I was one night, three o'clock in the morning, watching TV. Watching Tony. There's Tony on the infomercial, Gumpty Ranker, a young, motivated Tony Robbins. Oh, he made me sick. He was so motivated. <laughs> oh, I wanted to punch him in the face. Uh, Dave? Yes. Unfortunately, we are already over time. <laughs> okay. Understood. To be honest, I would love to sit and listen, but we have gone over our time for today. So what I would love for you to do, Dave, can you give one quick parting thought and how can people connect with you if they've heard your story and they're like, I need to get to know Dave better. How can they do that? Well, if they need to talk to me about sobriety and drug addiction and alcoholism, they have problems in their family. I want to open that up. If they want to talk firewalking and corporate team building, extraordinary experiences, the, uh, I do it. The Dave Alvin Firewalk Academy is coming up in October. And Kim, what that is, is they people send their people to us, entrepreneurs, CEOs, whatever. They come to us. They go through the academy. I teach them all this stuff and then they can go back to their respective business and facilitate on their own. So to find all that, just go to firewalkadventures.com. So that's one word, firewalkadventures.com. And as a matter of fact, if they want to consider the the Academy for being on your podcast and listening here today, if they give me a code 6828, that's 6828, I'll give them a substantial discount for you know being on your podcast on your show listening today. As far as a parting thing, here's what I'd say. Stop looking for heroes and be one. Oh, that is so awesome, Dave. Thank you so much for being on the show. You know what, audience? Is the Author to Authority podcast helping you? Has it helped you in your business? If it has, could you do me a favor? Could you pay it forward and share these episodes with someone else that you know that it will help as well? So this has been Dave Albin and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson-Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.